Good morning, church family. Aren't you thankful for the goodness of God? Aren't you thankful that his mercies are new every morning? That he gives us beauty for ashes, strength for fear, gladness for mourning, and peace for despair. It in the Lord good. I said, in the Lord good. Can I just tell you something? Look up here for a minute. I'm going to dive right in because this is in my heart to share with you. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Now, guys, grab a hold of this for a minute. Today, today, not tomorrow, not at some point down the road when I'm at a conference and everything's just working out perfect. Today, as in right now, today is the day of salvation. Now, understand what that means. That means salvation is this word called sozos in the Greek, and it means completion. Now watch this. That means that today, whatever it is that's lacking in your life, today can be the day of fulfillment. Today can be the day. So that means whatever you have need of today in your life, no matter what it is, guys, hear me on this, no matter what it is. I'm telling you, yesterday I was out, got to play a little golf at TPC. Praise God, that was fun. That's like a bucket list right there. And a guy was in serious pain on his back, and he was going around looking for medicine. And the Lord says, well, you got hands, don't you, Pastor? I said, I sure do. And I went right up to the guy. I said, excuse me. You said your back's hurting. I said, let's pray right now. And I laid hands on him. And God healed that man. Now, listen. Listen to me. I don't care if you're here and you say, I don't know if I believe in that. Well, you ain't the one that got healed. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And so I say that. My spirit's a little stirred this morning because the guy says, my pain went away. I'm healed. And I said, well, praise the Lord. (laughs) Now watch this. If God did that yesterday, then why can't he do it today? Because yesterday was the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. That means that today God wants to do miracles in this place. But watch this. You've got to have faith in God to believe that all things are possible. The Bible says that all things are possible with God. And I think that I could easily get an amen out of that. We even get people outside of the church, oh, yeah, well, God can do all things. But watch this. The scripture also says that all things are possible to him who believes. So you've got to believe that God can do all that he said that he would do. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. So whatever you're thinking in your mind, well, I don't think that could happen to me today. Well, guess what? God is able to supersede what you think can happen. I like to translate that verse to this. God can blow your mind, but you got to know that he is God. The same God who breathed out the starry host of heaven. You think that he can't fix a, a bum knee? You think that he can't heal a marriage that's gone bad, you better believe that he can. All we got to do is look to him, take our eyes off of our circumstance, take our eyes off of how we think that it can't and try to figure everything out because that's what we try to do, don't we? We try to figure everything out. But watch this. God never called us to try to figure everything out. He just called us to trust him. And when we trust him, God moves in ways that only he can do. And so today I say to you, whatever you have need of, friend, 
That means there's some of you here that you have a bill that's due and you don't know how you're going to pay it. Then go to God and trust him that he will meet that need and he will take care of it. He is Jehovah Jireh. It's part of his name. Are you hearing me? Some of you need peace because I, I hear this right now. If I can just go here for a minute. There's some of you that are here this morning. You're mourning something in your life. And I want you to know that God gives us peace for despair. He is Jehovah Shalom. And you know, when we say he's Jehovah Shalom, that not only means that he is the God of peace, but he is the God who brings wholeness. So whatever it is that's missing in your life, friend, let him fill you. Friend, let him come and restore you. Let him heal you. Maybe you're here today and you've not been to church in a long time. Well, guess what? God saw to it that you were here today. He knew that you would be here today. And he's reviving your heart and he's drawing you closer to himself because he loves you. Oh, how he loves you. He's such a good, good father. Amen? Amen. Amen. Y'all ready for the word? Yeah. Let's dive into the word. Amen? Um, and let me just say, for those of you that are just joining us, we have been on this nine-month series that we have called All In, where we have been going chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. And the purpose of this series it's like actually embedded in its title because the purpose is that we would be all in in our faith, all in in our devotion, all in to our commitment in following Christ. And really, that is what the book of Acts is all about. Yes, it's, it's a written account of the early church, but let me just say that if you just read this book, from a historical perspective, then you will have failed to realize the purpose for which it was written. Because the book of Acts serves as a blazing manifesto of radical devotion and unwavering faith. It's not just a historical record, but rather it is a divine blueprint and for how we are called to live our life. And really what it is, it's a revelation of the power of the Holy Spirit at work, both in and through the lives of a group of believers who truly were all in. And the example that we see from it comes from the lives of just simply ordinary men and women who were transitioned, if you will, transformed into this bold, fearless ambassadors for Christ. They were those who turned their world upside down. Shameless plug for Pastor Daniel who preached on living upside down or maybe right side up. Great job last week, brother, and thank you for filling in the pulpit for me. Talking about those guys that are willing to defy social norms and religious boundaries as they carried the flame of the Gospels to the ends of the earth. And watch this. Even as we're going to read and we have read, even whenever they faced death, and by the way, some were killed, they did not waver in their faith in God. And that's what we're talking about here this morning when we're talking about believing and trusting God. We're not just having this, well, yeah, I guess I'll kind of stick my toe in and see what God does for me. No, it requires all-in devotion, church. Are you hearing me? And listen, there's many people all over the world, because I see it all the time. I see them up on my social media feeds that talk about, well, I was once a Christian, and they have to get in and talk about how things didn't work for them. And, and they stuck their, their, their little toe in is all they did. They were never all in to begin with. 
Because when you die, friends, that's when you experience a resurrection. That's when you see God move in miraculous ways. Now, again, I can't beat this drum loud enough, and that is that if you just see what we're talking about through uh, reading the book of Acts, if you see it as just this historical document, analyzing it with a detached lens, you are going to miss the heartbeat of its purpose. Because the book of Acts was written to ignite a fire within us and to awaken our hearts to the call of living a life fully surrendered to God and fully surrendered to his will. So as we're going to be diving into these last few chapters, can you believe it? We got probably about maybe another month or so left in all in. But my prayer is that these stories, that they will challenge us to break free from the the shackles of complacency and free from the safety of our comfort zones and to rise up above the average and the mundane and to embrace a faith that is anything but ordinary. You see, the book of Acts confronts us with the reality that the same God who moved mightily in those early days is the same God who desires to move powerfully in and through us today. And so my prayer for each and every one of us is that our hearts would burn with an insatiable hunger for the presence of God and that our lives would become a living testimony to what it means to be a fully surrendered follower of Jesus, to be all in. So can you join me in prayer, and then we're going to dive into God's word. Lord, open our hearts to receive your word today, Lord. God, you said, let he who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So God, I pray, even now, Lord, that you would silence the voices of our agendas, that you would silence the voices of what needs to take place later this week or even today. But Lord, in this moment, Lord, we set it apart wholly unto you, and we pray, Lord, Prepare our hearts. Let our hearts be found as, Lord, fertile soil by which the seed of the word of God will go forth, Lord. And may it do its bidding in our minds and our hearts. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your presence. We thank you that your presence is an open door. You have an open door policy in regards to it. And so we thank you for it. We love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I just want to play catch up for those of you that may not have I've been here for the last several weeks. Um, We read about Paul where he went to Jerusalem, where the religious Jews were stirring up all these accusations against him, which then led to his arrest and being beat. And the Romans actually were the ones who came in and stopped him from being killed. And now Paul is being dragged from court to court. Because when Paul was in Jerusalem, he informed the Romans that he was a Roman citizen, which means that he had certain Roman rights. And so the Romans found themselves in this quandary because they didn't want to deal with the Jews in this crowd and that had incited all this violence. uh, But they also couldn't just hand him over because he was a Roman citizen. So at first we see... Paul standing here before this Roman tribune in Jerusalem. And then he was sent to Caesarea where he stood before Felix, the governor. But Felix just essentially kept kicking the can down the road. He didn't want to deal with him. Now after two years, Felix was succeeded by a man named Portius Festus. And Festus came along and he listened to the complaints of the Jews and their accusations And then he also listened to Paul's testimony in his defense. Now, what I want you to keep in mind 
is that years have passed since all of this whole ordeal. But what you may not have realized is that during those years, several of Paul's epistles were written. Specifically, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And if you remember, Felix the governor, the Bible says that he allowed Paul's companions to meet with him and to tend to his needs, which would have accounted for how Paul was able to do those things because they would bring the writing instruments and everything that they need, he needed in order to write. Now, I want you to consider this just for a moment because it was during a time when Paul had all hell coming against him. It's when he had this mob ready to kill him. I mean, this wasn't just something that stirred up over a few nights. Years have went by, and this mob is still trying to take him out. And when he was placed in prison for something he didn't do, it was during all of this time and this persecution and being beaten that God used him to write some of his greatest writings. Now think about that for just a moment. Because I believe that this speaks a very clear message. And that message is this. God will use you to do great things even in the midst of your toughest trials and greatest challenges. I mean, consider some of the things that Paul would have written during this time. I mean, this is just a few that I'll share with you of things that came forth from him during this time. Things like Philippians 2.13, which says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to act, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now remember, this wasn't a guy who's already crossed the finish line, and now he's sitting back and writing from the things that had taken place and how God had done such wonderful things. He's still in the middle of it. Are you with me? This was written by a guy who had been beaten, spent a couple of years in jail for a crime that he didn't commit. And not only that, as we, we know and, and we read later on, actually, Paul, things get worse for Paul before they actually get better. Yet he writes this in the midst of all this. For it is God. Well, that can't be God. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to act, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Church, when we find ourselves in some of the darkest moments of our lives, could it be that there is a much bigger picture that we can't see that God is doing here? Could it be that God is forging us, refining us, and performing his purposes through us, even whenever the opposite may appear to be true? Everything from the external perspective and from everyone looking from the outside would have said, God's abandoned Paul. I mean, after all, why is the guy still in prison? And why did God allow him to suffer the punishment that he did? Hey, maybe you can relate. Because when you look at your life, maybe you have some similar questions. Like, why did God allow this to happen to me? Why did I have to suffer the things I suffered? And friends... 
to answer those questions, I tell you, look no further than the cross. Because the life of Jesus, it reveals to us that God does things much differently than we do. I mean, you wouldn't think that God would have sent Jesus into the family that he did. I mean, you think God would have sent Jesus into this noble, elite family, but he didn't. He chose Mary, a peasant teenage girl, to be Jesus' mother. And Joseph, a a carpenter and a a commoner, to be his dad and, and tasked with raising Jesus. And you would think that whenever Jesus was in his uh, latter teenage years or maybe in, in his latest, the early 20s, he would have, you know, entered into ministry then, which would have been the norm, but he had him wait, swinging a hammer with his dad until he was 30. And then you would have thought that when Jesus started performing miracles that everyone would have followed him. I mean, Jesus was going to have the biggest church in town, Right? when Jesus did start his ministry, you would think that he would have chosen the greatest Jewish leaders of the day to be his disciples, but he didn't. He chose ordinary men, ones who did not make the cut themselves to become a rabbi. And again, as we consider the cross, who would have ever thought that the purpose of God would have been to allow Jesus to be stripped beaten beyond all recognition, and then nailed to a cross where he would hang, suffer, and then die. Now, none of this would make sense if we didn't know the end of the story. But watch this. It isn't the end of the story. Because the story ends with a resurrection. The story ends with a victory. The story ends with the redemption of all mankind. And I just want to say to those of you that are here in a difficult place right now, your story isn't over either. God is still writing your story. You know what? I can say this as one who's went through some difficult seasons. I just realized my dad informed me that today was passing of my mom five years ago today to the day and uh you guys know what jody and i went through uh the last two years being told that your your spouse has cancer and then only to find out oh it's actually not cancer to the very next day the being told oh you've got a brain tumor and you've got cancer walk through that now some of you have walked through some fires because i'm looking around and i'm seeing who's in this room and i know that some of you have went through some fires But let me just say this, again, as someone who's went through some difficult seasons, the challenges that you are encountering now will become the catalysts for growth and transformation in your life. Just as a diamond is formed under immense pressure, you too are being refined and shaped through the trials that you are facing. But watch this, your story is not over. Don't put a period where God has a comma. Amen? In other words, every struggle, every setback, every disappointment, every heartache has the potential to propel you to a higher level of strength and a greater level of maturity. It's in the fertile soil of adversity that seeds of character, perseverance, 
and wisdom are sown. And perhaps this is why Paul wrote this in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, when he said, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Friends, I pray this morning that your hearts would come alive with hope. I pray that you would see every difficulty for it to be just the opportunity to give birth to a greater strength, a deeper compassion, and a testimony of his faithfulness. And so I say to you, embrace the growth that awaits you. For God is using every challenge to mold you into a vessel of grace that will ultimately become a beacon of hope to a lost and a hurting world. Amen? All right, let's look back to Paul's story. Now we find Paul standing before Festus, and he says this. He says, I haven't broken any Jewish laws, nor have I committed any offense against Caesar. Then Paul says in Acts chapter 25 and verse 11, If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. Paul is essentially saying here, if I'm deserving, like if I've done something that is deserving of the death penalty, he says, then go ahead, put, put me to death. He says, but, he says, if there's nothing to their charges against me, then no one can give me up to them. And then he says this. He says, I appeal to Caesar. Now I want you to understand, how many of you guys have read that before? Let me just explain like what that means. Because when Paul says, I appeal to Caesar, he was invoking a legal right that was available to him as a Roman citizen. And I think that this is an important point for us to catch because it shows how that Paul used the rights that he had as a citizen of Rome to further advance the purpose of God. And church, you and I, guess what? We have rights and privileges as citizens of our country. Ones that we can use for the advancement of the kingdom of God. You see, one fundamental aspect of living out our faith is recognizing and respecting the laws and the authorities that govern our societies. And as citizens, we're entrusted with certain rights and responsibilities and within the boundaries of the law, of course. We have the privilege to exercise those rights for the greater good. Paul understood his rights as a Roman citizen, and then he used them to further proclaim the gospel. And we too can use the rights that we have been given and the freedoms that we've been afforded to be able to do things like promote justice, compassion, and righteousness in our communities. For instance, we are afforded the freedom of speech which allows us to be able to openly and boldly share uh, the truth of God's word. 
Now, I understand that we have a lot of people that's been trying to silence those voices, especially those that have been trying to do it from a public forum. But we have the right, watch this, guys, not only as citizens of our great country, but even more so as citizens of heaven to declare the good news and to share the truth of God's word. As a matter of fact, of the gospel, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said to proclaim it from the rooftops. In other words, see to it that everyone hears about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a good place to say amen right there. Also, while we're on this subject, let me just highlight another right that we have as citizens. We have the right to vote for candidates who align most with God's principles. It wasn't, but uh, it was a few years ago, I was talking to a pastor, and this pastor was complaining about a particular politician. And I really wasn't sure who he voted for, and so uh, I asked. I said, well, then who did you vote for? And he says, oh, I don't vote. And he went on to say that the reason that he didn't vote was because he felt like, in good conscience, he couldn't vote for any of the candidates. Now listen, I respect anyone's right to not vote if they feel like their conscience um, truly can't keep them from doing so, okay? However, as followers of Christ, we've got to carefully consider the implications of abstaining from our civic duty. Because watch this, while no candidate is ever going to perfectly align with our beliefs and values, it is essential to recognize that our vote holds the potential to shape the society in which we live. And so I said to that pastor, I said, okay, well, if you don't want to vote, then don't complain either. I mean, you know, the Bible actually does say something about that, right? Complaining. As a matter of fact, it was Paul who said it. And he said it during the time frame in which we've been reading about when he was in prison and been beaten, had everyone coming against him. In Philippians 2, verse 14 through 15, he says this, do some things without complaining and disputing. Oh, your Bible doesn't say that? Oh, okay. Oh, let me, oh, I'm sorry. Do all things. There it is, yeah. Do all things. All means all. All means all. If I preach a little long today, all means all. Ha <laughs> ha! Pulled that one out. Do all things without complaining and disputing. That you may become blameless Ooh. and harmless children of God. See, I get convicted whenever I read this because, you know, if anyone had a reason to complain, I mean, it was Paul. But I, I went back and looked, and I found that never once did Paul complain. He simply spoke the truth about his situation and the truth about Jesus. Now let's go back to Acts 25. Paul appeals to Caesar, and Festus says to Paul, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now again, Paul had already been told by the Holy Spirit that he was going to be preaching the gospel in Rome. And so this was a strategic move on Paul's behalf to use his right to advance the gospel. 
Now, the second part of Acts chapter 25, it details the visitation of King Agrippa and Bernice to Caesarea. Felix tells King Agrippa about Paul, and he lays out all the things that had taken place over the last couple years. And Agrippa wanted to meet Paul. Verse 23 says, so on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall. You ever know someone, ever watch someone when they walk in, they walk in with great pomp? Yeah, I know a few guys like that too. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice, they came in with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and all the prominent men of the city. You know what it reminds me of on Gladiator? I cannot think of his name because this isn't in my notes, but like, what, what's his name? The guy, the other guy, the Commodus. Yeah, you remember whatever he went and had everyone and it was all the pomp? So that's what I get. That, that's what's going through the theater in my mind. I know, Pastor, you shouldn't say that out loud. You're preaching in front of people. But that's what goes through my mind, right? That's, that's, that's who that is right now, and that's what's happening right here. They're coming through with all this military tribune and the prominent men of the city. And then at the command of Festus, Paul was then brought in. Now, in case you didn't know, this would be the great, that we know of and, and written account, this would be the greatest influential leader that Paul will stand before. Like he had stood before leaders, councils, governors, but now he's standing in front of a king. A king who had significant political power and influence. Agrippa ruled over the northern territories of Palestine, including Galilee. You ever heard of that place? <laughs> right? And he also ruled over Perea, which is our modern-day Jordan. And so his reach was far and wide. And in addition to that, the Bible says that his wife, Bernice was with him, and she had a significant amount of political influence also. Why? Because Agrippa and Bernice had the same parents. Yes, that means that they were brothers and sisters. Yeah. And before she was married to Agrippa, she had been married to her uncle. Now, guys, I'm from Kentucky. So I got a lot of jokes that I could share right now, but I love my birth state, so I won't. It's so back to Agrippa and his sister slash wife. Did you know that in Kentucky, it's the only state that sells anniversary cards and family reunion cards all in one card? I'm sorry. I, I, I couldn't help myself. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I have no idea how to transition out of this. <laughs> Let's read verse 23 again and go through the rest of the chapter. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting, that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving of death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, 
I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Now, this right here brings us to the closure of Acts chapter 26. And I'm sorry, Acts chapter 25. Um, Next week, we're going to dive into Acts chapter 26. And can I just encourage you guys to read this before you come next week? Like, that's your homework assignment. I mean, I'm going to probably read it to you because it's that powerful. But, like, grab hold of Acts 26. Read it because we're going to do a deep dive into that next week because this is the exchange that takes place between Paul and King Agrippa. And I just got to tell you, there are several powerful points in this exchange. I love teaching this portion. I think I may have taught this many, many years ago. And so just be prepared for that so you're really uh, familiar with the story uh, for next week. But um, I want to just bring today's message to a close with this. And it's something that Paul wrote during his time in prison, uh, probably while in Caesarea, waiting to go to Rome. He said this. He said, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, when I was in Bible college, one of my classes was the life and the teachings of Paul. And I'll tell you, if you know about Paul, man, he came from a prominent family. He was raised in a, born and raised in a city called Tarsus. He would have spoke many languages. He would have been a very influential leader. He would have had a lot of money. He would have been rich, okay? He had a lot. But of the things that he had, he said, I count everything. I count it all, my influence my fame, my fortune, whatever, my, you know, my family name. He says, I, I count it all as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. So he's saying, hey, you know, I, I've lost a lot of this because of Jesus. But he says, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul models for us the perspective that we're to have, church, whenever we find ourselves up against the ropes. He makes a bold declaration saying that everything that he has ever counted as valuable, everything that he has lost and suffered, he says that it has paled in comparison to the immeasurable worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. You see, when we find ourselves up against challenges, and difficulties that are overwhelming. I think we, by nature, we reach out to grab a hold of something. Some people, they reach out to grab a hold of temporary solutions or quick fixes. They grasp onto material possessions or earthly success or worldly comforts, hoping that those things will give them security or fulfillment. Others turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms, seeking temporary relief or distractions from their troubles. But Paul, he teaches us a different approach. Instead of grasping onto the fleeting and empty substitutes of this world, he directs our focus towards something of immeasurable worth, knowing Christ Jesus. Paul reminds us when we find ourselves in moments of difficulty, we're called to reach out and to grab hold of Jesus himself. We're called to cling to his promises 
his truth and his unfailing love because he and he alone is the one who can provide us with peace, strength, and comfort. You see, when we shift our perspective and anchor ourselves in the immeasurable worth of knowing Christ, our challenges, they begin to lose their power over us. And we begin to recognize that our circumstances, they don't define us, but rather they refine us and they cause us to walk into our true identity as sons and daughters of the king. 